0: You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I'm so pleased to have with me today uh, Nicholas Ball. Uh, Nicholas is the CEO of XFUEL, and I'm really excited to, um, you know, to have him on the show to talk about his uh, technology and the company and what the company's doing. Um, I'm really passionate about um, technologies in general, technologies for transport energies that can help Uh, reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, um, and also improve air quality. So I'm always on the hunt. I'm on the lookout. um, And I was so pleased to be able to, um, you know, to meet the XFuel team. And I'm really happy to have uh, Nicholas on the show today to talk a little bit about um, the XFuel uh, technology and what it could mean for the transport energy sector. So Nicholas, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much, Tammy. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Um, my pleasure. So, for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about what is XFUEL? what is the technology, and what's the plan for the technology? Um, is the plan to license, um, develop production facilities, or both? Tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, taking it from the top, um, at XFUEL, we kind of focus on producing advanced drop-in biofuels from waste lignocellulosic biomass. Uh, predominantly for the transportation sector, but, but basically any liquid uh, fuel market. So when I say transportation, obviously that includes uh, the marine sector, which is one of our core markets, uh, the road and aviation industries, um, as well as uh, you know different industries that you'd find with, for example, like the agricultural industry, the mining, drilling, construction, remote energy. And I think that's that's an important point, right? Most people don't realize that Liquid fuels spend so much more beyond transportation. It's not just uh, those things. So yeah, we we focus on that. Um, we've been developing our technology for over ten years now, um, and I think the way that I would frame it is bringing a fundamentally different process to the market that converts solid biomass uh, into fuels. Um, so you know, the most well-known being you know fast pyrolysis or gasification and fissure trough. We differentiate ourselves um, considerably from those kind of technologies and and trying to bring a, a totally new approach uh, to the market, which has its um, his, obviously its benefits, which is, is why we're here. Um, in general, our technology focuses on production of high-quality drop-in fuels, so uh, yeah, for the marine sector specifically, but also on road, as well as um, bringing them at very low capex and opex cost as well. So that's our core, core kind of motivation behind the, the company. Um, High level takeaways of the company and what we're kind of focusing on more on would be basically ensuring that we're extremely sustainable in terms of the uh, the greenhouse gas intensity of our fuels. Mm-hmm. It's one of the kind of key motivations about the company here. Obviously we're using sustainable biomass and, and uh, waste derived and, and uh, biomasses. Um, our technology is also modular, which has its own advantages, and decentralized, which I'm happy to go into later if, uh, if interest. Um, as well as I think the most important thing, is having a solution that is for now and having an immediate impact and not something that essentially we have to develop for the future with infrastructure. So that's in itself, what Xfuel does, um, and, and what we provide. Uh, but yeah, I I think your other question was around the kind of the the licensing and how we're Mm -hmm. kind of planning on that. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting question because as we're starting out the commercialization phase of our technology now, I would say that the, the, the main impact that we're trying to do, well, the main kind of priority is uh, to drive is driven by the time to market, essentially making the biggest impact in the shortest time possible. And um, we see this as the initial strategy is building our own uh, production facilities, so providing our own plants um, and selling the much needed and highly demanded carbon neutral fuels to the market. Yeah, but I think, and 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 luckily enough, we've had some fantastic and. A, interest from corporates and and some of the most forward-thinking corporate companies out there in the various sectors that that want to align with us and potentially have long-term partnerships. Uh, But I think in the medium to uh, long-term, there is a possibility where we see where we can't build out these projects fast enough ourselves, especially with the capital requirements and such, where we'd be looking to potentially do more partnerships and or licensing in the future. But but in the in the shorter term, it definitely kind of build own and operate model is where we're where we're approaching.
0: So you would envision, um, or let me see if I have this right. I mean, it could be the off takers, uh, large corporate entities that come in and partner with you um, on sort of the capex portion, and they do the the offtake of whatever the production is that's coming out of one of your facilities.
1: Absolutely, and and yep. I think we're seeing that more and more. so absolutely. we we're we're approached by that, yeah, because yeah. I, I think at the end of the day these these kind of corporates really want to really want to have access to these fuels. and um and it's quite hard to find access to these fuels. and we talk a little bit about HVOs in the future maybe in, in a later question or so. Yeah. but but, uh, but yeah, I think having access to those fuels is the forefront, and how do they do that? well it's it's facilitating these partnerships earlier on uh, with with companies like us. So we're getting a lot of inbound for that, and and I think that's a, it's a growing trend,
0: absolutely. So for the real techies out there or maybe even the non-techies um, when it comes to fast paralysis, you know what is the key difference? You know, have you figured out a better mass mousetrap um, in terms of the the fast paralysis? Is it fast paralysis, sort of the product, but not actually the fast paralysis <laughs> technology? Yeah. Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, okay. So, fast pyrolysis, the, the main, I think, disadvantages and uh, that you would normally have, and and of course, I don't speak for every company because there's many variations of this. Mm-hmm. Um, is essentially that you're producing a bio crude or bio oil, which then needs to be co refined or upgraded, and and that's okay. quite a costly process. Um, right. So, what we've developed is this technology that, uh, out of our core conversion technology. Actually produces drop-in marine fuel standards uh, that, that fit with the fossil fuel standards. Actually, um, in a one-step process, so we avoid a lot of the kind of let's say side reactions and side uh, issues with oxygen and such that you would typically find in a prolysis system, um, and that allows us to produce a very high-quality fuel straight out of our, our kind of core tech. Um, so it's quite quite a, in my perspective, quite a game changer. I, I would say that, but I do I do believe it's a big difference um, from from the in the industry's perspective. Um, also, the, the level of efficiencies we have, so how we can convert uh, the amount of biomass we need is very little to convert quite high quantities of high-quality fuel. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite different to, to process the system. And then on the flip side, very different to uh, gasification, fish truck technology, which is quite energy-intensive, um, mm-hmm. high temperatures, high pressures. Uh, and with that, you typically find uh, very high CapEx requirements because the equipment has to withstand those, those temperatures mm-hmm. and pressures and also high effects and, and cost per gallon or liter because of the the energy that you need to put into the system to, to produce these fuels. So we, we kind of um, have differentiated ourselves considerably in terms of the process and then developed that. Over the last 10 years, it's been a long journey. Mm-hmm. but we're uh, we're at the commercialization phase.
0: Yeah, you're out of the the valley of death, the the Absolutely. R&D yes. valley of death as it were. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or the T, the TRL valley of death.
1: <laughs> the TRL one, yes. The well-defined <laughs> well well historically defined one, yes.
0: Yes, yes. So, um you talked about or a little bit earlier um, sort of waste like no cellulosic feedstock. So what is that like in terms of like, you know, collection and procurement? Because that was always... At least in the the cellulose ethanol world, you know, one of the real difficulties was the the you know developing that value chain and the collection and the processing and the treatment and the pretreatment and all that sort of stuff. Um, what is that like um for you all in this process today? I mean, that's come a long way too and over the last 10 or 15 years.
1: Yeah, the the pre-processing will always be a requirement for for any. Biofuel producer, and I think I think that has come a long way. A lot of this is kind of standard technology. Um, in that, obviously, it depends on the materials we're talking about. I think in in our technology, we're a little bit more forgiving in terms of the um, the types of materials that we can use. We're quite robust. We, we've tested over fifty different feedstocks, um, and and a wide range of them. Obviously, that needs to be pre-processed, and that has its, its hurdles. Um, but but something that you can easily get over, I think, it's not 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 the major hurdle. Um, the, the different, tech, I guess the, the various kind of feast looks that we can use and just going back to the original question there is, mm-hmm. you know, anything uh, from the different sectors that you would typically find, whether it be the agricultural residue sector, whether it be the construction waste uh, from that perspective, manufacturing waste, such as in, in furniture, uh, furniture waste and sawdust and things like that, um, as well as forest residues as well. So yeah, you know, to give you an idea, olive kernels, almond shells, uh, pine, eucalyptus, uh, sunflower hulls, yeah, all sorts, all sorts of different things that we can we can use. Wow! Uh, in our process, yeah. So it's it's quite abundant. Um, and and talking about abundance, because I know you had earlier on, uh, quite earlier on, but you had on your show. Uh, Dr. Kyriakos and oh, yes, about the yes.
0: mm-hmm. Alba Solar yeah. and yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly yeah.
1: so so they were um, talking about a great study in the Imperial College uh, about the the sources and we use that as well and amongst other sources we do our investigation and 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 it's pretty clear that you know in the EU and and beyond but in the EU specifically for this this study there is uh, more than enough to supply the entire industry uh, with with biofuels with advanced fuels um, and that's um, a really important point especially when you're very efficient with how you use it, which is in our case.
0: So I'm going to come back to that, but I want to ask you um, what, you know, are the biggest uh, target markets you're seeing um, target regions, countries, sectors um, for the, the X fuel product. And, and do you see um, X fuel competing with the, the current, you know, HVO and and renewable diesel and SAF producers Uh, Today, how do you see that lining out?
1: Yeah, so as a company, we're currently focused uh, in the UK and EU uh, right now. Uh, We also have a pipeline of projects looking towards the US and Canada and then Australia as well, uh, which we're we're developing right now with different partners. Um, I think that's on the geographical kind of regions. And obviously, I think one thing to mention, which I think is a really important point, and you did touch upon it in your last question. And apologies, Mm -hmm. I didn't answer that, but. Is, is around the, the distributed nature of, of feedstocks and biomass mm-hmm. in itself yeah that's one of the reasons why we approach this problem as a with a modular technology which is scalable in different modules because we we fundamentally believe that if biomass is distributed uh, and decentralized then so should the plants and the solution to convert them uh, biomass is a very low energy density uh, in in there so trucking around and, and you see this right you see biomass being shipped and trucked around the world uh, to to feed an enormous project somewhere that's, you know, multi-billion dollars. Um, and, and that affects the carbon impact of the fuels. And, and obviously it's not a very sustainable solution. Right. So we believe that having multiple projects that are close to feedstocks it is a really a fundamental part of this solution. And, and that's how we've developed our technology to, to support that. But yeah, so
0: let me go back. Yeah. So let me go back to... Um, you know, what you were talking about before. And I want to ask you um, about, you know, there's abundant resources for um production, yes. That the the Kankawe um study from um from the group that you mentioned, you know, is really clearly uh demonstrated uh it c- clearly demonstrated that. Um and there have been other studies that have sub- supported as well. There's more than enough yeah. biomass, even for different types of you know production pathways um mm-hmm. that, that's out there. So it seems to me like in the EU, you know That, you know, in your view, um, is there really full recognition um, of that and are the policies that are in place and and are going to be put into place? So, for example, Fit for 55, um, Red 2 and Red 3 uh, come to mind. um, are, Are those policies, you know, recognizing that? I mean, there really does seem to be a big push in the EU um, and other places, um, towards you know, electrify, you know, electrify it all, mm-hmm. you know, all yep. day, all the time. And yeah, I guess we'll have these renewable policies on the side. Um, you know, as if um you know, at least for the for the transport side of the equation, you know, that's sort of the 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 solution. um and yet we have a legacy fleet. We have lots of reasons to look at other sources. So, what's your view on that? Are the policies that are in place? Um, or will be coming into place in the EU and frankly elsewhere, even in the US. Here with um, the Inflation Reduction Act, are, are those um, you know sort of enough to help new technologies like X Fuel, um, you know, really scale up? What might what else might be needed there? And how do you overcome sort of that electrification perception?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, so. So first, I should say that you know we're a firm believer in electrification. We think it is the the very best solution for many applications, and and I mean consumer cars, you know, I mean light trucks. I, I think it makes complete sense, uh, and and uh, and it's something we should push towards always. I think the story is a little bit more complicated than people want to believe. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, there is the kind of cradle to death calculations of like you know moving an entire fleet that has just been bought to electric and and what does that look and, and from a greenhouse gas perspective and energy intensity from obviously constructing and building manufacturing these 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 trucks and cars So that has to be taken into account and something that I think not enough is 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 looked at. but from a policy perspective I think there is there is a, a push for for advanced fuels um, in two ways. One is the 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 phasing out of first generation biofuels, uh, which is which is being seen globally. I say US, globally, U.S. and EU predominantly. Mm. Um, and, and I think the advanced fuels does have a, a bigger and bigger say. Two issues here is I, I believe that we have enough states, probably not enough that it should be. I think there has to be more recognition of what we can actually do. But having said that, I think that the advanced fuel space has lacked in performing, right? We've all had the false promise of producing advanced fuels for many, many years. And we've been around for 10 years, so we know that. Right. Um, And I think we've never quite delivered a a reasonable or or large quantities, even though the promise is there. And if we can crack that and achieve that, like we're working on doing now and and believe we can do that in large quantities, policy is not going to kind of catch, it's not going to kind of believe, it it won't align with what is actually happening in the market. And I think that's what we're seeing. Um, HBOs are the closest, or the only thing out there right now that are in that bracket and, and that's obviously got issues on scalability as well. So that's probably one of the one of the problems um, on policy. But I think we are doing a good job. And um, and I do think electrification is a huge part of that, of course. Um, and I don't think anyone, anyone who denies that is, is probably not understanding the space, right? That's that's happening.
0: So are you saying in a sense that, you know, we're building it, once we build it, they will come. So I believe so there needs to be the demonstrated, you know, the really demonstrated full commercial volumes of these really advanced fuels beyond um, HVO. And once that's there, there will be. So it is a little chicken and egg because you kind of need a the policy to, to scale up, but you also need to scale up to <laughs> guarantee exactly. the, I, the, the policy.
1: <laughs> I think I think it is a chicken and egg problem. And, um, you know, we, we need. One of the ways where this is going to kind of solve that issue is is the immediate requirements of, of the world, right? We need to decarbonize. It's an immediate threat, an existential threat, right? So I think that will push investment. It will push, especially if there is in the future other uh, like a carbon tax or things like that that might mm. come in, in the future. I think that will push us towards you know all different uh, avenues. But having said that, there are industries, obviously, outside of the ones we're talking about that can be electrified today, at least. Which we think we would be a huge, a huge win for, and and marine sector being one, aviation being another clear one, as well as other sectors that other people are not really thinking about. Having said all this, there is one thing that I, I like to consider an inconvenient truth here, which is that, you know, we all talk about decarbonizing from a very privileged kind of perspective, which is, you know, major cities and air pollution and such. But there is an entire world out there that needs to decarbonize. And whether you're burning a gallon or a liter of fuel in Lagos or in the middle of New York City, it's the same effect to all of us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that perspective and realizing that actually we need solutions that are beyond our infrastructure, you know. And I don't think electrification in those kind of regions and rural regions, uh, or hydrogen or anything like that is is viable. Um, yeah. So so we think we're a solutions for that as well, um, which is which is great.
0: I think that's really important too. It's something that I I highlight a lot is um you know, if it whenever when I look at, you know, emerging um uh, regions or countries in Africa, in Asia, in, in in Latin America, um, you know, there will be some electrification, but it will not happen probably as fast as Some may like, and there's a huge um, legacy fleet and there is in the West as well. So it's kind of, and people are going to continue as electrification scales up, people will continue to buy um, internal combustion engines um, as well. Aviation um, demand will increase, Mm -hmm. marine fuel demand will increase. So, you know, so what do we, you know, we do need um, other, other options um, to address those, um, emissions. And so, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I do think that that does get lost in the shuffle. I think it's really hard to contemplate, you know, kind of where we really are with, with, um, fuel demand and how intertwined, um, you know, energy, you know, traditional, um, oil products are, you know, kind of in the fabric of um, our lives and never more so than in these regions where there's really a lot of scaling up and people coming into the middle class and things like that. So I, I do think that gets lost in the shuffle. It's simply unimaginable to, you know, it's like, you know, a billion plus plus people. You know <laughs> yeah. in a, in a, in a you know in in um in these regions in some of these countries and beyond, so exactly, yeah, i do I do think that that's um that's really, really important um,
1: absolutely and and aside from that, I mean, I think we you know we're working towards achieving uh, well ca- carbon neutral fuels. um we're very close to to going beyond that, actually, but that's a whole other topic um and and probably something I shouldn't go into yet, but but uh, it's 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 an exciting prospect where we can actually produce biofuel, which actually has no kind of emission impact. Um, and I think that's that's something being able to provide that to kind of the emerging economies and and saying you know the amount of infrastructure cost to switching things over you can you know uh, avoid or delay depending on the sectors is is a great uh, opportunity for them um, and and for for the world. Right. So I think that's yeah. that's the the important part here i think
0: so where do you see the company going in the next five to ten years
1: yeah it's a good question i mean i think <laughs> tell um... us
0: all your plans <laughs>
1: <laughs> well like like we discussed before right I, I see that i see the company delivering on the promise of solid biomass advanced fuel technologies uh which which i think has been uh been there for a time and, and not quite achieved um what this really looks like is, is the rolling out of ambitious, an ambitious number of modular and scalable projects in various sectors, so the marine and aviation and, and beyond, and obviously in various regions as well. So, so I think that's what that looks like from that success. In in the shorter term, I think you know there are some things that are exciting me right now, which are, like I said, um potentially a milestone in our byproducts and allowing us to not only avoid carbon emissions but potentially sequester. Um that that's pretty exciting from for, for the company. Um but aside from that. I would say aside from the expansion, operating of projects, you know, our roots are in the development and commercialization of technologies, right? So so I think we probably would see us developing other technologies, which we're already kind of doing um, in in the same space and providing the kind of much needed solutions in our effort towards net zero. Um, So it might not be a very concrete answer, but basically many different projects in different spaces, um, but also developing other solutions.
0: With with um you know with you you mentioned uh, carbon capture and storage or at least see the sequestration mm-hmm. aspect of it um so are you saying that you know x fuels might be able to reach not only carbon neutrality but uh, potentially net negativity as well. The yeah,
1: holy grail it's 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 <laughs> potentially yeah we're 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 working on this. Uh, not something I should be announcing, but anyway, but yeah, no, we're not when we're, we're working on this. It's something that we've, we've' it's it's one of our top priorities in our company. I mean, anything we can do in 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 bringing that down further, uh the better absolutely. and uh, regardless of the financial impact on a project, right? we think it's super important to be able to achieve this milestone so it's it's um, yeah, it's something that's on the pipeline and hopefully soon be able to. able to
0: discuss more say more Mm -hmm. so fun and last question um Mm -hmm. what excites you most about the space and why i mean especially when you're doing r&d and you're trying to develop a company create a company um and a product and a and a uh, production process and scale it up um i imagine in my own experience working with with companies like yours. I mean, there are some, you know, there's setbacks, there's, there's disappointments, there's hard times. You're in Mm -hmm. that valley of death as they, as they joke, (laughs) Um, you know, now you're emerging. I mean, there, there's, um, there's tough times and I imagine quite a, quite a lot of good ones. So what, what excites you most about the space and what keep, what's keeping you, you going, what keeps you going?
1: Yeah. Well, I think w- one of the things that I've realized in the journey that we've had, uh, especially now as we're kind of growing um, growing exponentially in terms of the number, number of uh, people coming on board, is this kind of collective energy and interest uh, we're seeing in the world right now. And, and to getting this right, I think you know, the the decarbonization effort is well on its way, right? And I think we're, we're noticing that now. Um, there may have been some hiccups along the way, politically, uh, in different regions, but, but I think we're just seeing this kind of constant move, uh, really amazing talent, exceptional talent, jumping ship, being part of the movement, you know, deciding that actually regardless of remuneration or, or, or circumstances financially that they want to be part of this movement and mm-hmm. support uh, in this, that really does excite me. And, 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 and seeing the kind of people that are, that are willing to, to make this jump. Um, and I think that's growing more and more, uh, every day. I, I i'm optimistic for the future obviously there is a huge amount of work to be done uh, we're well off our targets there's you know it's very easy to get uh, bogged down and uh, feel uh, slightly depressed about the situation <laughs> but but at the same time i think we have to remain optimistic and i think it's it's going to be a wave right it's going to be more and more people moving to this um, and, and and making it uh an inevitable inevitable kind of success uh, for for the world so so that excites me seeing that energy it gets it keeps me going um and, and seeing the passion behind the people that we we have on board ourselves but also people that want to join and and outside and other other companies as well um, so that's that's really helpful uh, aside from that i personally just uh, love that i get to do what i do which is you know make a, a potentially enormous impact in the com- in the world and and also um, uh, run a great company so so i'm personally very happy in, in, in the situation. It is not easy, as you can imagine, there are ups and downs, but, um, but yeah.
0: Well, you know, that's, um, you know, that, that's what I'm seeing too, is um, I think that's, that's what also gives me a lot of, of hope is I, I think there are even, you know, even in the oil companies are in, in traditional Um, Energy sectors. I think people do want to 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 do something, and they do want to to make an impact. It's really just the pathways um, in which uh, and and the the various areas that people are working to to get there, whether it is electrification or. You know traditional oil and gas, or you know novel new fuels and production processes like yours. So, yeah, that's encouraging to me. So, Nicholas, thanks so much for for joining us, talking to us about X Fuel today. It was a pleasure to have you. Come back. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you so much, Tommy. Appreciate it. Speak soon.
0: You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolich. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more and sign up for a free biweekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.